You're listening to the Physio Matters podcast in association with exerciseprescriber.com. And this is session 72. Welcome back to the Physio Matters podcast. I'm still Jack Chu. Thanks a lot to everyone that tuned in to last month's episode, which was actually a live recording from a onstage performance, shall we say, from me and Giles Hazan discussing in conversation the unity and conflict, shall we say, the, the pros and cons, the opportunities and challenges between MSK therapy and MSK medicine. Giles is a GP with special interest. And so if you haven't tuned into that episode, then please do, because it's been really overwhelmingly well received, um, especially people thanking us for weighing in on some of the contentious topics that are often avoided. And obviously that's what this show is all about. So we're really pleased for the feedback on that. This month's episode is also a conversational piece rather than an interview, I would argue, because we could have long always done a show with Jack March on rheumatology. Uh, he's also one of our team, also runs the Physio Matters podcast now, and he's a, one of the leading experts in all things rheumatology, physio, and how to you know, detect and, and rehab uh, patients with inflammatory-based conditions. However, he's done a recording with Mike Dare, who's also a physio who specializes in rheumatology. And so they've had a conversation about some of their findings and some of their experiences, you know, sort of hot tips from two experts in conversation, which has been a really interesting conversation for us all to listen to as a team once they'd aired it. So it was definitely useful for us to try and uh, listen to and, and act on some of that feedback, even working with Jack uh, day to day. Uh, we still picked up a lot from this episode and so we hope that you will enjoy it too we definitely wanted to bring it to the masses before we do i just want to give a shout out to our sponsor exerciseprescriber.com who have a really brilliant product and are just a great tech company that we've been proud to work with over the last couple of years this is the last sponsored episode from them but we do continue hope to continue to work with them in the future on various different things particularly as a tech company that really get the get what we're trying to do and help to promote some of the messages that we are trying to get out there into the MSK industry. They really understand the multifaceted nature of how we need to try and reform practice. And so we're looking forward to working with them in the future. But this is the final sponsored episode. They have a brilliant product that you should all check out. Do check out exerciseprescriber.com to understand what they're up to, as well as keep an eye on some of their brilliant products on the on the horizon that they've got that we've been working on with them. So they are fantastic and have really, really helped unlock our potential over the last couple of years and it's been really important for us to to recognize that as we come to a close in that part of the relationship but also look forward to working with them in the future so exerciseprescriber.com if you've not already given them a look so without further ado let's get to mike dare and jack march in conversation about all things rheumatology i'll see you at the other side Hello, welcome back to the Physio Matters podcast. I am Jack March, and this month I am delighted to not only be talking about my favourite subject of rheumatology, but I've also managed to invite on another rheumatology geek in Mike Dare, who uh, he will introduce himself in a minute. We've known each other for a few years now. We've had conversations on and offline about different rheumatology things, and I thought it was high time that we had a conversation about pragmatic rheumatology and physiotherapy and what we're needing to do 
with these people when we suspect them of having some sort of inflammatory arthropathy or similar. And I couldn't think of someone better to talk that through with, with Mike. Um, so I'm going to get him to introduce himself in a second. Uh, but we're going to talk through, uh, like I say, some pragmatic tips on what to do and how to find these patients in the sea of our clinics. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Jack. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast and uh, thank you very much for inviting me and having me on. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, so do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and your career so far to date? Uh, I can do. Um, so as, as you said, I'm a physio by profession, Jack, um, and I've been working almost exclusively in rheumatology for about three years. Um, full-time. Um, before that, I was working as a specialist MSK physiotherapist. Um, obviously, your listeners can tell by my wonderful accent that I'm South African. Um, obviously, we have the best rugby team as well, as the recent results uh, showed. But um, yeah, so I trained in South Africa as an everyday physio and uh, worked in all the different fields of physio like like you guys do over here with with your rotations um and after that i did a, a full-time masters in musculoskeletal medicine um <clears throat> at the university of stellenbosch in in south africa and then i went across and worked in the middle east for a while and I was privileged enough to work under or with an orthopedic surgeon who had a special interest in um, inflammatory back pains, really, and just picked up um, quite a few gems and, and tools from him. And, and that's really where the, the rheumatology kind of interest started. Um, I moved over to the UK um, after that about three years ago. Uh, and I've been working in a community rheumatology service in, in kind of Essex area since then. Um, I've done a few bits and bobs as well, things like prescribing. Um, I've recently completed the ULA diploma in rheumatic disease, which is incredibly medical and incredibly challenging as a physio to get my head around that. But yeah, I've I've just essentially just been learning from consultants for for the past three years and and that's where I am at the moment. So the first thing um, I sort of wanted to get your thoughts on Mike and this is something that I talk about a lot when I run run courses in recognizing rheumatology um, is is where we sort of think the role for physiotherapists is in the recognition of inflammatory arthritis and arthropathies and um, I suppose the background to that question is we know obviously there's still quite a delay to diagnosis with num a number of these conditions um, and I think just by the virtue of me being able to teach these things um, I do find that people lack some confidence in um, in recognition so I suppose the first point would be you know what what are our what is our role do you think here um, are we going to be seeing many of these patients in clinic? Well, Jack, I think the the answer to that question really depends who you ask. Um, uh, I think that the the role for all allied health professionals, particularly in the NHS, is an ever-evolving matter. Um, and I think the roles that 
physios in particular find themselves in today are, are going to be completely different to the roles that physios are going to find themselves in in, in three or four years' time, um, just because of, of the stresses and strains on the system. Um, it, the, these stresses and strains do have a significant benefit for allied health professionals like physios and, and nurses, where um, we have the opportunity um, through the correct training and, and mentorship and obviously considering patient safety um, and, and all these factors to really move into new new spheres and new roles, which I think is, is quite exciting. Um, and as you know, with, with the spectrum of, of rheumatic disease, many patients, their, their main complaint or main overriding presenting symptom is arthralgia or joint pain. So, you know, uh, it, on, on the basis of that, these, these patients are people who may be referred to an MSK clinic. So absolutely, we, we would see these patients in the physio clinic. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, um, I've been to various places talking about this kind of thing. And um, I, I always start my spiel of talk with saying, you know, physios are moving into an ever sort of more forward part of the care pathway. So we, we're seeing patients earlier in the care pathway. So no longer are we sort of hiding behind the screen of a GP or um, orthopedic surgeon prior to them coming there. Even with you know, direct access physiotherapy has been a while, around for a while in this country. And certainly the birth of first contact practitioners in a formal sense in GP surgery is, is going to, in theory, explode soon. Um, but then I always get some pushback from my private sort of attendees who say, you know, we've been doing this for a long, long time, um, seeing people without a, without a doctor screen. Um, and it's as you say, it begs the question, these patients are arriving with, um, with, with joint pains or back pain. Um, and it, it's something that we must be able to recognize because it, it, it isn't a physiotherapy problem in its outset. It's certainly a medical problem. So I think um, if, we're, if we're not recognizing the signs and symptoms of these patients, then, um, then we're probably doing them a disservice. What do you feel... Um, you know, with with your experience with working in the in the community rheumatology team, do you feel like the patients that you see, uh, sort of new newer diagnosed, have have seen a number of healthcare professionals prior to you, or or how how does that sort of play out in your clinics? Well, I think the it, it really dis- depends on the spectrum or the sphere of rheumatic disease that we're talking about. Um, so. The way that our service is set up is is quite unique in the sense that we we do see a truckload of new referrals from general practice, um, and typically these referrals are are not your barn door inflammatory arthritis referrals. Um, so so these would be referrals where you know the the potential spectrum of diagnosis could be anywhere from a mild seronegative inflammatory arthritis to fibromyalgia, for example. So, so the, they're not your bond or inflammatory arthritis patients. Um, then we, we also see a, a significant cohort of patients in our service who are known with various rheumatic diseases on disease drugs. And we do their uh, six monthly reviews. We we check their blood tests. We adjust the and titrate the doses of their DMARTs as required. 
um, and if they still have active disease, um, we take the necessary measurements and, and refer them back to secondary care for anti-TNF um, or biological therapies. So, so we, we're quite a, quite a unique and, and, and I would say quite a, a modern service. And, and I do think because the vast majority of the new patients that we see do end up being mechanical patients, um, we, we really take a big load off, off of secondary care, which, which I think is, is really the whole point of the service and it's quite beneficial, I believe. Yes, I remember when, um, when I was previously in a, a back pain clinic in, um, in rheumatology and I would say, you know, I don't know what your sort of, what you think your hit rate would be, but I think I, if, I, if I was getting sort of 15 or 20% of patients that I was then forwarding on to the rheumatologist, I thought that was quite a good number at that time. Um, what, have you got sort of a percentage number where you're actually, you know, referring into secondary care? Um, uh, I think it, it, it really varies, Jack. As I said, uh, gen, gen, it depends on the spectrum of, of rheumatic disease that you're talking to. So there, there, there are, there are diseases or, or conditions, let's say, which, which are when, when you get an eye for it, they are pretty obvious uh, mm. to spot on a paper triage or in clinic. So something like a, a seropositive or an anti-TCP positive rheumatoid patient, um, you know, they, they generally present in a certain way and, and you get to kind of become familiar with, with the clinical presentations of these patients or something like a gouty arthritis or, you know, the, these kind of have characteristic uh, presentations. Whereas your, your spondylar arthropathy patients, particularly your B27 negative cohort, they often go on for, for several years, you know, be, mm. before a diagnosis is picked up um, because they're not easy to spot and they do have a mixture of inflammatory and mechanical features. Um, and I think the big pitfall with, with that cohort of patients is a lot of the, they are non-radiographic, so they don't have x-ray changes. Um, so they they kind of left bubbling on for years before before they're actually picked. So the, I mean the the long and short of it is that uh, it depends on on the spectrum that we're dealing with. But I, I would say that probably our our stats would be something similar to to yours, where we're only sending about fifteen or twenty percent of patients on uh, yeah. with yeah. highly suspected inflammatory arthritis. Yeah, that's for sure. And do you think, because certainly something I've been aware of for a while is, as you said, those peripheral arthropathies, the rheumatoids and the psoriatics and gouts, they get picked up very well in primary care um, or at the GP level, but the but the inflammatory backs don't so don't so well. Um, and and a, and a group of those is is the females who don't get picked up well at all historically which is where we ended up with the with the old statistics of sort of three to one male to female ratio whereas now we're obviously aware it's more even than that um and do you do you do you feel because i've got my own theory on this but do you feel though the the females are are fitting into the there are they obviously fit into the non-radiographical group but do you feel like they present less classically as well um yes i do um and i mean i i'm not i'm not a massively well-read person on on statistics but 
I, I'm not sure if I believe the epidemiological study. Um, I, I do think probably three to one is a massive overestimate for XBAR, mm. um, male to female. But I definitely think it is a little bit more than one to one. I do think there is a male predominance um, with, with AXPAR, but definitely I've seen many, many females um, with, you know, um, axial spinal arthropathy. And, and when you do their, their whole spine in SIJ, MR, it, you know, it lights up like a Christmas tree and they, mm -hmm. they've got obvious sacralitis um, on, on stir sequences. So it, it, it's not as uncommon as we thought. So I think we do when we're in clinic, uh, particularly in primary care, Hopefully, um, the physios working in primary care and our GP colleagues are more aware that that this is also a, a female, um, you know, accepted condition, and and it's not completely male dominated as mm. we previously thought. Yeah, it is a difficult one, isn't it? I've certainly seen statistics nearing the one to one. Um, it's always difficult because a lot of these the statistics we obviously see are drug trial related, um, and it. It does become hard when you when we don't have those really large epidemiological studies um, to to pull out those trends. I suppose we've um, we've we've skipped ahead quite nicely into into sort of recognition, and um, hopefully the the listeners will be happy to have listened to my previous podcast with um, uh, Dr. Carl Gaffney, which was um, all about recognizing inflammatory um, back pain, which. Um, we we can we can cover very briefly now but if people want a bit more detail they can go back to that one um but i also want to get your get your thoughts on um the more peripheral arthropathies as well um so you know the the typical inflammatory sort of back pain patient um with their sort of volunteering that, that, that their spine is stiff especially in the mornings um but the one of the things that i think people don't or are less aware of is the peripheral symptoms that they can present with. Um, could you take us through a few of those for, for us to um, just so the listeners are happy with what's going to accompany the sort of inflammatory sounding back pain? Yeah. So I, I think so, something that really helped me, Jack, when, when I was initially kind of putting my toes into, into the massive minefield of rheumatology was, um, just drawing drawing mind maps really and and kind of getting an understanding of of the different kind of spectrums of rheumatic disease so mm. what i mean by that is kind of getting a a relatively good understanding of of what rheumatoid is and what it looks like um, and what i mean by that is different different types of inflammatory disease characteristically like different joints don't they and yeah. and they present with different patterns um, in in terms of their distribution so getting to know what what a rheumatoid patient looks like uh, what a gout um, gouty arthritis patient typically looks like what a peripheral axbar um, patient typically looks like and obviously an axial spinal arthropathy patient um, and what a a lupus patient or, or a kind of scleroderma patient looks like. I mean, connective tissue disease is a whole nother kettle of fish, isn't it? But I think getting getting a good understanding of, of what these conditions look like really um, makes your life a lot easier um, in clinic in terms of new patients and also, uh, you know, seeing patients who are 
are known with with rheumatic um, disease and you know our colleagues who work in hand therapy will know all too well seeing you know chronic rheumatoid patients and and the the typical changes we see in particular joints so I found that really really beneficial um, with, with regards to your your question about the the kind of peripheral uh, features of of the axial or axe bar group I mean it really depends on on the the, the kind of subtype of, of axial spondyloarthropathy that or kind of peripheral axbar that we we're talking about. So typically, your your B twenty seven positive AS patient um, textbook is not really going to present with a hell of a lot of uh, peripheral joint uh, synovitis or swelling. Um, they they the guys who would typically. Um, get uh, enthesitis uh, type of features. So, you know, they may present with uh, bilateral plantar fasciitis or bilateral Achilles um, insertional enthesitis, uh, these kind of things, uh, as opposed to kind of angry peripheral swollen joints, which is not really what you'd see um, in, in your textbook AS kind of patient. Mm. Then if if we consider the the psoriatic arthritis um, cohort, well, psoriatic arthritis is a whole discussion on its own, isn't it? Because <laughs> there's, there's so many different uh, subtypes and presentations that, that one can present with, with psoriatic arthritis. So um, generally speaking, patients will present with a, a monoarticular um, peripheral um, swelling or, or synovitis and in my experience knees and ankles seem to be mm-hmm. uh, a favorite for for this type of uh, um, kind of peripheral um, axpa if we would um, and then it rarely um, I must say but definitely a, a lot more common than I originally thought is you get you get a polyarticular rheumatoid type presentation with psoriatic arthritis where they, they get kind of symmetrical uh, synovitis in, in several joints, in the hands and the feet and the big joints. Um, and at times that can be quite aggressive and, and lead to quite a lot of joint destruction. Um, so psoriatic arthritis is, is a whole um, you know, kettle of fish on its own. There, there's such big uh, variations. So yeah, they, the psoriatic patients can also present with enthesitis type features like the AS patients mm. um, and obviously the the psoriatic arthritis very much like AS does uh, like spines and has an affinity to give inflammatory back pain and, and sacroiliitis as well. Yeah and I think um, your, your idea of the mind maps at that point becomes super useful so when you um, I don't know what they're necessarily called, but you know where where you would draw a circle and write the different um, different conditions in the circles and how they overlap. Um, and there is a significant overlap with almost all of the conditions. Like you said, I mean, even even the Axbar patients will occasionally present with some synovitis, and they'll overlap a little bit with a rheumatoid-looking type presentation, which is pretty unusual, but can happen. Um, and then even into the connective tissue disorders, as you mentioned, which are a whole mess of nightmares that we should probably leave for another podcast. But the um, 
it becomes very very um very easy to picture once you can get those sort of presentations in your head as you said and how they can overlap because i think i don't, I don't know whether i'm putting putting words into people's mouths but i wonder whether they whether a lot of people are sort of quite happy with um an axe bar traditional axe bar with an inflammatory back um type presentation and quite happy with a rheumatoid type presentation with both hands but if they were to get uh, like you said a mono arthritis of the knee or the ankle whether they then would be less confident in that situation to um make a diagnosis or um or, or appropriately refer um because they because as you said they're looking for that sort of symmetrical that we would all sort of taught at university um symmetrical presentation or clear swelling of the joints or synovitis whereas actually like you said we might be looking at the enthesitis picture and we see a lot of tendinopathy in physio clinics so an enthesitic picture in the in the achilles tendons um with some inflammatory back pain and i think it it just it does require for people to be quite detailed in their questioning of past medical histories but and also sort of current other symptoms in other joints um and i think that might be where we where where everybody not we as physios but everybody falls down a little bit in recognizing the slightly subtler patients would you sort of agree with that yeah i mean i i don't think we should be too hard on ourselves jack with with recognition i mean if if we if we cast our eyes onto the um kind of latest uh BSR, British Society of Rheumatology Review of um, Early Inflammatory Arthritis Timeframes, um, we can see that uh, patients who, who are referred into early inflammatory arthritis clinics from general practice, would, which would be predominantly GPs, 20% um, of the patients are end up being mechanical back pain and 19% end up having osteoarthritis and 4% are fibromyalgia. So, you know, it, it's not only physios who struggle with the recognition of what is uh, inflammatory, inflammatory arthritis versus a mechanical or chronic pain symptom. I, I think it is tricky. And, and even doctors and GPs, and uh, I mean, in my experience, even very experienced consultant rheumatologists uh, do struggle at times. It, it, it's not always a black and white, uh, black and white picture. So. No, definitely not. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast today is um, I've realized that my almost my my criteria in my own head for referring into rheumatology changes every other week. Um, so a patient I might see today, I might not have referred two weeks ago, or I might have referred four weeks ago, I'm not certain. And I think it is a bit of a gray area um, as to what we're doing. But I, you know, I do think, um, and I would put physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, anybody that sees patients, you know, with joint pains, GPs, etc., um, that, um, you know, we do, we need to be upping our vigilance, I think, with these conditions and just thinking that they might be there, especially in our younger population, because um, yeah. it, obviously it's, it is a younger person's condition, these things. Definitely, and uh, there, I think the the literature out there is, is pretty conclusive and clear that the, the earlier we get... Uh, patients on on uh, disease modifying anti-rheumatic drugs in the cases of peripheral um, synovitis or peripheral arthritis or NSAIDs and anti-TNF therapies in the cases of axial spondyl arthropathies, the, the better the outcomes for the patient, um, the less aggressive the disease, the less the structural damage and, and it, you know, essentially the longer the patient stays in work and, and the better for the taxpayer. So, 
you know, there, there, there has to be a clear drive to recognize patients earlier and get them where they need to be earlier. And uh, as you said, I think all, all musculoskeletal practitioners have an important role to play in that. Mm. And one of the things that I've noticed recently, well, it's not that recent, I mean, it must be um, a year to 18 months old now, maybe even longer, is um, so it, the, the NAS group, who have just recently changed their name to National Axial Spondyloarthritis Group, uh, Society, sorry, not group, um, NAS, they uh, released a campaign called Backplane Plus, which I'm sure you've seen, which um, was aimed at ophthalmology clinics, um, gastroenterology clinics and dermatology clinics, um, where they were suggest they, it was a poster, they were posters that could be put in waiting rooms, which were aimed at getting the, um, the patients attending those clinics to tell the um, tell the clinicians they were seeing about the fact that they had back pain um do you what what would your advice be to physios um who they've got uh got a patient who um comes in and they've got some back pain um what would your advice be about you know if, if they've got sort of concurrent colitis or um concurrent um you know crohn's disease what would your be, advice be in that sort of situation well, I think the the first thing as as a medical professional, as a physio or GP or, or, you know, whatever it is, a chiropractor or an osteopath is you need to be sure in yourself that, that you're confident and knowledgeable to differentiate between inflammatory back pain and mechanical back pain. Mm. So there, there are distinct differences in, in the subjective history. And I would argue that 95% of the differentiation comes from the subjective history in these patients. Um, and unless they've been having active disease without treatment for 20 or 30 years where we start seeing the actual actual kind of structural mm -hmm. stiffness and changes. But the, the important thing is to be able to recognize the key cues um, from the patient. Um, so what I mean by that, Jack, is things like significant early morning stiffness. Um, so patients would wake up um, and their, their back and their spine would feel significantly stiff. It would take them 45 minutes to an hour to, to ease up. And as long as they keep or kept busy during the day and kept pottering around, their back didn't really bother them much at all. Um, and then when they sat down or rested for a, a reasonable amount of time, that cycle started all over again. Um, other cues like waking up several times at night from back pain, getting alternating buttock pain, um, you know, a reasonable or good response when they use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories um, to their symptoms. So these are all little cues that that should kind of lead someone to to be suspicious of inflammatory back pain. And and generally the behavioral symptoms are distinctly different to mechanical back yeah. pain in that sense. So um, w when it comes to the axial spondyl arthropathy group, um, if you see in a patient in clinic who is known with inflammatory bowel disease um, or has had a previous episode of uveitis, for example, or is known with psoriasis or has an immediate family member with psoriasis, then um, be, be sure to ask these questions and kind of convince yourself that this is mechanical or inflammatory. And then that will really answer the question, wouldn't it? 
yeah exactly and i think that's the it's uh, going back to your mind maps as well it's it's knowing the associations that can be had because um you know you might you might have someone who um they uh, we've all had these patients who are a little bit they're, they're difficult to get the the information you want from if you know if that makes sense um you ask the question a few different ways you get you get some slightly strange answers and i think sometimes it's well worth knowing the associations of other things that then bring you back to certain specific questions much like we would do with other conditions like quadriquina syndrome or something we would we would, might get an answer to a question that then makes us delve more deeply into things and i think that's what we need to do with these inflammatory patients as well yeah i mean i i would say uh, for for physiotherapists working in private clinics or, or um you know, as first contact practitioners in GP surgeries or even in um, tier two MSK services as, as MSK physios or CATS clinicians or, you know, the traditional ESPs is um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about, about the specifics of which uh, spectrum the mm. patient falls in or, or, the, or the particulars about is it a psoriatic axbar or is it a kind of a B27 positive AS or, you know, the, the particular important thing is we need to be picking up if um, presentations are inflammatory in nature or if they're mechanical in nature. And if, if they are inflammatory in nature, those are the patients that need to be referred on to rheumatology. Um, I don't think our role in, if, if you are working in a GP surgery or in, in a kind of a tier two MSK service, I don't think our role is, is a role where we should be working these patients up or giving particular names to their presentations. Mm -hmm. we, we should leave that to the rheumatologists, I think. Yeah, that, I agree. And um, that's something else that's slightly changed in my thinking over time um, as to exactly what to do with these different people. And um, exactly, it's followed exactly that line of reasoning you just gave. I used to say to people, you know, um, it can speed things up if you're able to order MRIs and bloods. It can speed things up for the rheumatologist but uh, when, when the patient gets there. But actually, my experience and learning over time has taught me that to be honest, you can cause as many delays and issues as you like, as you as you can solve problems. Because, as you said at, right at the beginning, the the spectrum of these conditions is so varied, and their presentation is so varied. You can order the wrong things, um, or 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 tests which actually aren't indicated. Um, and my one of my favourite phrases on my courses is that rheum consultant rheumatologists are consultant rheumatologists for a reason. And this is their job is to um, be ordering the correct tests for the correct patients. Um, and actually, our job really, as you just said, is to get them to the correct clinician, clinician which in an inflammatory arthritis perspective would be the rheumatologist. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Jack. And unless, unless you're working in a role as a rheumatology specialist nurse or, mm -hmm. you know, an ESP physio in a rheumatology clinic where you have consultant uh, support, where your role is actually to work up these patients. Um, if you're seeing these patients in primary care or in an MSK clinic, I think your job um, is to make up your mind whether this is in a mechanical presentation or an inflammatory presentation. And if it's inflammatory, then your job is to refer the patient on. Um, I, I don't think we should be hanging on to these patients uh, just, just because we know that the research is very clear that the longer we delay 
treatment for these patients, in particular the the rheumatoid patients, is is the more difficult it is to induce remission for them, and and generally the more aggressive their disease is. So the the kind of modus operandi, if we were, would be to get a get a good picture in your mind of of the different spectrums, um, diseases like rheumatoid, peripheral psoriatic arthritis, AXPA, um, gout, you know, connective tissue disease. And if, if you spot in a lot of um, features in your examination and you're in a lot of cues in, in your interview with the patient, then I would say refer them on. That would be my advice. Yeah, perfect. Um, and, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, which I'm, I'm going to admit to having a complete agenda to because um, I get them on my courses a lot and I never know whether I'm answering them well or if I'm just not answering them brilliantly because uh, I often fob it off a little bit but um, what would you um, say as a prag- uh, what would you, what tips would you give pragmatically so a lot of time especially if you're in private practice um, then we obviously won't be referring directly to rheumatology. There's often no referral via the GP or, as you mentioned, um, a CATS clinic or, um, or or some sort of triage um, to get into rheumatology these days. What kind of pragmatic tips have you got to include into that referral to to ensure that that patient gets where you where we believe they need to be? Well, I think. Be, be very clear with, with the history of the condition. So, you know, what I mean by that is, is this something which was a insidious onset uh, without any reason? Be, be very clear in, in which joints the patient is complaining of symptoms. So what I mean by that is, is it a polyarticular presentation? Is it symmetrical? Is it involving the axial spine as well as the peripheral joints? Are there enthesitic features in, in, in the patient's kind of interview history? Um, be very clear in, in the interview or, or the referral if the symptoms are mechanical or inflammatory in presentation. Um, and then probably some do very well because, you know, as physios, we're really good in, in covering the musculoskeletal system, but we're not very good in covering other systems, are we, when, when we think about our history and our examination is be be mindful of extra articular features in patients so what i mean by that is as you mentioned earlier is is there a history of inflammatory bowel disease in the patient for example or does the patient have a history of psoriasis Um, and remember with the inflammatory bowel disease and the psoriasis it doesn't have to be the patient themselves who, who has it. It can be an immediate family member if you look at the diagnostic criteria um, on axial spondylar arthropathies. Um, is there a history of uveitis uh, in the patient or dactylitis? Um, these are all things which, which we should be asking. And something which, which I've also come to learn, Jack, over my, my kind of time working in, in the rheumatology minefield is that these these conditions are, are multi-system conditions, mm. so they don't only affect the musculoskeletal system. Um, for example, uh, lung, lung disease, interstitial lung disease, for example, is quite common in rheumatoid patients, um, and your, your systemic sclerosis patients can have quite severe um, respiratory uh, urinary gastrointestinal complications. So, you know, if, if we are suspecting 
the, these kind of rheumatic diseases, depending on on what the or which spectrum we're suspecting. Um, I, I would always encourage physios to ask about other symptoms, so things like breathing, um, things like digestion, things like swallowing, um, things like rashes, for example, or Raynaud's disease. The, you know, these are all things which uh, are foreign to us as physios, but I do think moving into uh, first contact practitioner roles um, and seeing more self-referral patients, we, we will become better better at doing over time. Yeah, perfect. And one tip that I give, which um, it, when when making a referral is, is is born out of a bit of the cynic in me, but um, also from a pragmatic point of view, is I'll always say to people, you know, if you if you think it's an inflammatory patient, and we know that those need to go to rheumatology, um, is to write that into the referral. So I'll say, you know, have a stock phrase like I. Um, uh, I believe this patient requires further investigation under rheumatology, um, and the the cynic in me is is therefore it protects you as the clinician to a degree because if if um, someone went rogue, another clinician who who was gatekeeping and they decided that they wanted to do an MRI or they wanted to do blood tests prior to referring into rheumatology, that's sort of on them and protects you if anything gets delayed or anything like that. Would you? Would you agree with that, or do you think that's too uh, confrontational of, of me? Well, in in my experience, it's never a good idea to to tell um, colleagues what to do. It always that always seems to blow up in your face. Um, <laughs> in my experience, but I mean, as I said before, is if if something is inflammatory and and you you can document in your referral that you know your patient presented with an insidious onset of polyarthralgia you know, joint pain, let's say a buttock pain in the sacroiliac joints with Achilles tendinopathy, let's say, for example, or Achilles tendon pain, uh, back pain is inflammatory in nature, um, you know, the the presentation is suspicious for spondyloarthropathy, mm-hmm. uh, w- would you consider a further investigation or onward referral to rheumatology if appropriate uh, kind of thing? So it's always good to, to stay diplomatic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but I agree with you. Um, in today's world, we we always have to think about uh, protecting ourselves, isn't it? And and uh, it's always good to make clear what what your suspicions are and, and what your kind of recommendations are for the management of the patient on the referral. Yeah, I've never never been particularly known for my diplomacy. I think your phrasing is rather better than mine. Um, the, um, my my second question, which um, which is uh, born out of my agenda, is is um, what? How do you how do you um, speak speak to the patient about making the referral? So let, let's put that in context. I'll often get, let's say, my role. Um, I'll have a patient who goes into one triage service and then is. Um, it goes to physiotherapy, for example, physiotherapy, non-effective, end up into my extended scope service um, and then for either further advice or an MRI or something. And then I I believe that they've got an inflammatory problem um, in spondyloarthritis, for example, and, and all of a sudden they think that they've got this mechanical issue, which people have been trying to treat. They've been diagnosed with with things. Um, and then I'm flipping it around to something completely different. How do you then 
how would you suggest we speak to the patient in that format? Because obviously, like you said, we're not we're not making a diagnosis, and I'm always tr- I always try to be really careful about not. and it's really hard in conversation about not being too specific but they're not being so vague that they they do believe you um that they need to go to rheumatology um how have you got any tips on on sort of that conversation and how to handle that conversation yeah so um every patient's different and the the way that you would explain um the rationale referral or or you know management change to a patient is different for every patient so you know what what I always say when when I try and and talk to colleagues or do any kind of education um, in service trainings within within our service or in in kind of community rheumatology services case services elsewhere around the country run run by um, the service that I work for is a patient can never unsee an MRI or unhear what you tell them about their condition. So um, it, it's quite important that that you kind of judge where your patient is on the spectrum um, of kind of sensitization and, and yellow flagginess because that really does determine what and how you you explain things to them. But I think probably much to the disgust of, of many of my, my physio colleagues is I have become much more biomedical over the past three years um, just simply because of my experience of how th- these different rheumatic diseases affect all systems of the body and I guess I've learned the hard way where, where we've had uh, cases of patients becoming very poorly, um, you know, because of respiratory problems or renal problems or, you know, uh, methotrexate or leflinamide induced cytopenias or all these kinds of things. You you kind of learn to think on a much more biomedical basis. But um, wh- when I speak to patients, I, I generally explain to them in the arthropathy cohort is that generally speaking, um, I, I say that your your back pain or your spine pain can be caused by two major umbrellas of of symptoms let's say um one umbrella is is because of you know structural changes in in the joints and in the muscles and in the ligaments and over time you might develop some stiffness and and a, a bit of kind of nociceptive pain from those structures and if someone's on the more kind of behavioral avoidance or or kind of sensitivity spectrum, then I would adjust the way that I explain that with, mm. you know, avoiding movement and neural sensitivity and sensitization and all these kinds of uh, conversations that we should be having with our with our chronic back pain patients. And and then I say, and then there's a second umbrella um, of of reasons for for kind of lower back pain or buttock pain, and and that's where you can actually get some inflammation. Um, in in your spine and and the joints of your spine, and generally that inflammation can be linked to, for example, your colitis or or your Crohn's disease or your psoriasis or you know if they are HLA-B27 positive. If you're lucky enough to get blood tests on the referral, it, you know I explained to them that it could be linked to that, mm-hmm. and uh, the the way that that you're presenting is not typical of someone who may have a structural problem in their back. Um, and I explained to them that in order to to kind of go forward 
with treatment, we need to refer you to see a rheumatologist for further investigation. And the way that I reason to them around that is I, I explain to them that the treatment for uh, inflammatory back pain or spondyloarthropathy is quite different in terms of the medical management to the mechanical back pain uh, medical management. And most people are, are quite receptive, um, you know, if, if you explained it to them in that manner. Yeah, for sure. I find um, I find I do something similar, although I'm stealing your um, umbrellas um, for that conversation. But the I've, I often find that it is an easier conversation when they already have something like colitis or um, or psoriasis. That that's much easier um, or a family member, especially. Um, although although sometimes if they've got a family member with very severe disease then it can be it can come they come as quite a negative thing that you believe it they might have a similar thing at, to which point i then go on about um how the medical management has changed over the last number of years and how it's so much better and try and reassure them with um when when referring when you get a patient who who you feel is is strongly rheumatological or um, or ticks a lot of rheumatological boxes um do you have much experience with patients who um have had their referrals bounce by which mean which by what i mean is they've obviously ended up with you but they they it's been attempted to get them into rheumatology previously and then it, it's not it, it, it's it's been rejected somewhere along the line wherever that might be um have you have you got any experience with those patients and have you got any tips if you if you've got someone especially even if they've been to rheumatology previously but you you just really think that they tick a lot of rheumatology boxes again have you got any tips on that that would differ as to trying to get them into rheumatology or would you just stick with your previous you know really outline the um the 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 diagnostic reasons you feel like they need to be under rheumatology for investigations um I mean, I'm quite uh, privileged, Jack, I must say, because I, I'm privileged enough to, to have a full-time rheumatology consultant a few doors away um, mm. that, that works in our service. And, and we have, um, or I have had several um, sessional consultant rheumatologists over the past three years. So generally, if, if I find myself in that situation, um, I always have a colleague uh, to to discuss with. Um, so... My, my advice would be, particularly if you work in an NHS-based uh, service, um, is try and build a relationship with, with your rheumatology colleagues in secondary care. Um, I have a very good relationship with a couple of consultants in secondary care, um, rheumatology in our trust, one in particular. Um, and if, if I email him um, about a patient, then nine times out of 10, they, they would be more than happy to accept the referral and review the patient again. Mm. Um, just because we, we have that relationship where um, I've, I've, I hope at least, have gained uh, their trust with, with a little bit of, of competency and safety. Um, so it's, it's all about developing um, interprofessional relationships with our colleagues. Um, and, and that's really where where the the benefit to the patient comes in is where, where we have these relationships with our colleagues. So my advice would be, you know, build build a relationship with a, a consultant rheumatologist or one of the registrars wherever you're working, 
or even if you're working in private practice, for example, make sure that that you have a working relationship with the GP practice where most of your your kind of patients would fall under so that that you have that mutually beneficial relationship when referrals are required. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I I have a a cheesy phrase at the end of my um, at the end of my presentation, which is which is get to know your roomie, which um, I've obviously spelled R H E U M Y, um, but I think that's invaluable. And I, I I'm going to assume your your experience is the same that rheumatologists as a breed are, tend to be incredibly friendly and receptive to not only um, chatting a patient over, but then also um, teaching to a degree as well. And um, I've, you know, I've had great experiences with many, many rheumatologists offering up their knowledge or helping or, um, or, or, or taking a phone call, etc. I'm assuming your experience is the same on that front. Absolutely, Jack. Um, I mean, I, I was extremely privileged um, to, to be mentored um, for about a year by one of the lead consultant rheumatologists at Addenbrooke's at the moment. Um, I hope he won't mind me mentioning his name, um, Dr. Malavaya, and he he mentored me through independent prescribing. And you know, in in the twelve months or, or eleven or twelve months that that he sessioned in our service and mentored me, the the amount of knowledge and learning that that was passed over to me was just incredible. Um, and I must say, every consultant rheumatologist that I've worked with, um, whether it be a, a sessional rheumatologist or a rheumatologist who's worked full or part-time in our service, has been incredibly um, receptive to, to teaching, and they're more than happy to have discussions with patients. And a lot of the time, to be honest, is we, we also have a lot to teach them when it comes to mm. mechanical um, or musculoskeletal problems in patients. Um, and, I mean, in our clinics, I'd, I do a lot of injection therapy for, for mechanical symptoms. Um, we do a lot of ultrasound-guided procedures as well. So the relationship is mutually beneficial for them as it is for us. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was lucky enough to... We get when I was a student get a placement in rheumatology um, in my third year all those many years ago um, and it I'm, I'll never forget how how receptive they were to having a student in in their clinic and I learned so much in those clinics about so many different things um, and I would encourage anybody any students or uh, who have a placement in a hospital the rheumatology department or um, if you're a sort of junior member of staff and it's a little bit easier to do these things um, is to get is to see if you can go and spend some time with rheumatology they'll, they'll almost always be receptive to it and you just learn so much I mean even just simple things that we we do quite regularly which would be seeing seeing people who take anti-inflammatories for example for a wide range of conditions that the rheumatologists know those drugs down to the nth degree and what they do and how they affect people and um, certainly so much to be learned in those clinics. Definitely um, I, I think that that's as I mentioned to you before is I, I think a lot of a lot of physios um, who who do work in in MSK clinics and rheumatology clinics are you know oblivious not deliberately but um, a lot of the time how how oblivious some of us are to just how 
wider range of effects these conditions have and rheumatologists are essentially you know internal medicine specialists so their knowledge about all the various systems in the body and the effect of the drugs and the pharmacodynamics and the pharmacokinetics of all the drugs is just immense um, and there's just so much you can learn um, from them so definitely the more time if you have if you have a special interest in in rheumatic disease the more time you can spend with with the rheumatologist i would say the better you know if i didn't have to see patients i'd probably spend every day with them so. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i uh, are probably going to get emails into the show now from rheumatologists saying we're snowed under with requests from physiotherapists yeah. to come to our clinic um yeah i mean the, the, the we're, we're getting close to our hour um of recording now and i was just wondering whether um you've got any any good places that you would suggest people go to for further learning on rheumatology or um, anything that might be specifically of interest? We've mentioned um, NAS already in their Back Pain Plus uh, program. I'd, I'd encourage anybody who's interested in inflammatory backs just to go to their website. There's so much information on there. Um, any others that you would, you would point people towards? Well, I mean, the NAS, NAS has fantastic resources on axial spondyl arthropathy. Um, the British Society of Rheumatology also has good uh, resources in terms of clinical guidelines um, for prescribing and monitoring uh, in, and in terms of screening for the different conditions. Um, I, I believe a lot of the resources require you to be a member, but the membership is quite cheap. It's 50 or 60 quid a year. So if you have a special interest um, in, in rheumatic disease, I would encourage people to consider joining up. The, the BSR also has fantastic courses that they offer um, every couple of months on, you know, core skills in rheumatology, which is primarily biased for nurses. So it's kind of your, your grounding um, knowledge and, and clinical examination, which I found incredibly useful when I started in rheumatology. Um, ULAR, the European League Against Rheumatism also have some fantastic uh, resources and readings. They have short courses, they have long courses. Any kind of course you want, you can find it through EULA. So there's a bit of a bit of something for everyone. Um, there, there is also a, another website, and I, I don't have any interest in in this website. Just to declare that, called Joint Zone. Um, so. You know, you can access that, and the website is www.jointzone.org.uk. You can register for free. All you need is an email address, and it actually takes you through various case studies, readings, courses, um, and, and various literatures on the different rheumatic diseases. And there's a beginner, intermediate, and advanced level. And that really did also give me quite a bit of uh, a bit of learning and a bit of knowledge when I started out. So I would also recommend that. Perfect. Loads for us to be getting on with. Um, I've not seen that joint zone one, so I'll be on there immediately after we get off uh, of this recording. Um, I want to say thank you to you, Mike, for um, taking your time out to talk to us about this subject that we're both really keen on improving everybody's knowledge on is there anything personally for yourself that you want to plug or are you gonna or are you gonna get into doing something research or um you've mentioned some teaching and stuff or are you just doing that in-house 
Uh, yeah, so so as as you know, Jack, I, I work for a private provider called Connect Health, who offers uh, various musculoskeletal services um, to NHS around the UK. Um, more recently, they they've been offering uh, community rheumatology services, um, and as I explained, the, these are the services where we see in you know new patients from GPs who who are predominantly mechanical or you know, plus minus inflammatory um, to try and offload secondary care. Um, and then we, are, we obviously see a, a significant amount of stable review patients um, for, for their six monthly reviews. So most of the, the teaching that I do is in-house uh, with Connect. Um, I think long term, uh, I'd probably like to, to do a bit of research. I, I wrote a thesis in my in my master's on, on chronic groin pain in athletes, you know, interestingly enough. So nothing to do with uh, rheumatoid arthritis or rheumatic disease. And then I, I did do a clinical uh, doctorate and I, I did a systematic review on lower back pain. So I think I'm probably a bit researched out for the next couple of years. Um, but yeah. Hopefully, a PhD will be on the horizon sometime in the future. Oh, brilliant. Well, we'll have to look out for that. I can't wait for that. Well, um, thank you for giving us your time, Mike. And um, hopefully, we'll be hearing more from you soon. And everybody will um, will um, enjoy this podcast and learn a good, great deal from it. I think it's been super useful. I've learned a good number of things and some nice new phrases as well, which I'm going to take away. Thanks, Jack. It's a pleasure. And uh, um, anybody that wants to have a chat or you know, has any thoughts uh, or, or kind of concerns or questions about rheumatology, they're welcome to find me on Twitter. Um, my my kind of handle is mrumi. So, um, you know, hit me up on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn or, you know, on the street in London, wherever <laughs> really. <laughs> Maybe you don't want that so much. Um, okay, well, I'll let you get on with your evening, Mike. Thank you very much for coming on and speaking to me. Thanks, Jack. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. Session 72. Amazing podcasts upcoming, uh, including Patient Matters with David Gilbert, Pete Moore, Tina Price, various other patient guests that we've got coming up on the, on our Splinter shows, as well as Health Matters, talking sociology and service design. A few different really interesting ones, career pathways into operations, how you can keep your clinical hat on when working into management roles, all sorts of stuff like that. It's really exciting. And then also massive thanks, of course, to Mike and Jack for this podcast. Find them on Twitter as well as at TPM Podcasts for the team's tweets. Do check out MSK Reform, of course, our independent non-profit looking to strive to reform the MSK industry. And we're doing the policy priorities over the next couple of months, ready for 2020 action groups to try and try and leverage this incredible momentum that we have at the moment over this agenda that we have um, under the Manifesto for Reform, which is easy to download, mskreform.org.uk. Have a look at the resources. Join if you want to be part of the part of the change. And of course, then sign your support in that direction, even if you just want to be a bystander. No problem. Just please do pay attention to the resources and get involved if you see fit and support it various ways by tweeting about it. We're at MSK Reform on Twitter, on Instagram, and of course, on Facebook. So thank you so much for everyone for tuning in. Have a wonderful Christmas. If I don't get a chance to do another address like this beforehand, thanks a lot for your support. We'll see you in the new year for more Physio Matters.
You've been listening to the Physio Matters podcast, discussing physio matters because physio matters. Bye for now.